Hebrews chapter number 11. Some of you maybe have been waiting in eager anticipation for getting to Hebrews chapter 11. We've, uh, we've coined this, uh, this phrase for, for chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. Uh, most of you probably have heard it, it called that. And, uh, and in many ways, that is, that is true. It, it's right for us to, to call us that as it, it, is, it is kind of a, a hall of faith. It's a, it's a way for us to see those who have gone before us and the faith that they have had towards God. I wanted to, to have Eric read those, first few, those last verses in chapter 10 before we get to chapter 11, just to remind us of the context before we just dive in. Because if we're not careful, we can come to a chapter like chapter 11 and, and feel like it's this standalone thing. Like we've got to just kind of pull it out of, of Hebrews and, and walk through it and yay, this is really great. Let's rejoice in, uh, in all the great things that these people did. Um, but forget maybe the purpose behind why it's even here in this passage in Hebrews. And and if you remember right there, it said that we are, we are not those who shrink back because he's been warning, right? He's been warning of those who, who would walk away from the faith, who would profane the blood of the covenant. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back but are, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And we've seen this in the context of Hebrews over and over and over again, these warnings about falling away from faith and, and throwing away, he literally says throwing away our faith earlier on in this passage. We've seen these warnings and we've seen these callings to, to hold on to our faith. And so after all of this, this talking about Christ and about his, the fact that he's greater than all these things, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Melchizedek, he's greater than the, the Levitical priesthood, he's greater than uh, the offerings that were brought, the, his offering is greater, he's a, he's a greater high priest. All these things that, that Christ is greater, now he's asked us to have faith. In Christ, He's asked us to to no longer, specifically the the Hebrews here, not to not to go back to those old things and to put their faith in those old things, but rather to have faith and to, and to continue in faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus is better. Because Jesus is better, then this faith that we have in Him is a better faith. The title of the message this morning is a better faith, but I. I have to try to outdo Eric uh, since we're doing a better, a better, a better. So I've got a subtitle, Facets and Fallacies of True Faith. Facets and Fallacies of True Faith. Um, we're going to actually take the next three weeks to work through Hebrews chapter number 11. And this morning, we're just going to look at the first three verses. Now, you're probably thinking, three verses out of 40 and you're going to do this in three weeks. Well, by God's grace, we will. <laughs> but we're just going to look at the first three verses this morning. And, and really, we've got ten fallacies and facets that as I was studying through the book of Hebrews and just noticing different things that the author is bringing out and the author is, is pointing to, even in his own commentary at times, 
um, I just noticed there, there are certain truths, there are certain facets, kind of like looking at a diamond, right? You, you have all the different facets of a diamond, and those facets really are what make the diamond shine. When the light shines on those facets, the way the light reflects and bounces off those, that's what makes the diamond shine. And so this morning and the next couple of weeks, I hope that as we look at this topic of faith here given to us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, that we will, we will hold faith up to the light and that we will look at it and we will see the truth, that we will see the perfection of true faith in Jesus Christ. So that is our goal this morning. And we're looking at verses one through three. These are, in my opinion, kind of the foundational verses for the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage, we'll look at obviously different facets as we go through them, but those other facets are really built on the foundation of these kind of three main points that, that I believe the author is giving us here in the first three verses of Hebrews. So the first facet that I would like for us to see is the concept of true faith. The concept of true faith. Now, the big idea, sorry, the slide people are like, no, he's in the wrong order. The big idea for us this week, and if you, if you miss it this week, it'll be the same next week and the week after, all right? This is all one very long sermon, okay? So the big idea, true faith finds its foundation, motivation, and endurance in God's revelation of himself and his promises to us, all right? Let me say that again. True faith finds its foundation, motivation, and endurance in God's revelation of himself and his promises to us. All right, so point number one, the concept of true faith. First, I want to take a look at the fallacy. Uh, we'll take a look at the fallacy, and then we'll, we'll take a look at what Scripture has to say. So the fallacy that I have with this one, with the, with the concept of true faith, is this. That faith is an action or effort that I must perform. All right? The fallacy is that faith is an action or an effort that I must perform. Now, it's easy for us to come to this conclusion when we look at how we talk about faith, when we look at how Scripture even talks about faith. We use words like, we have to believe, right? We're going to place our trust in. We're going to have faith. Right? We use these, these verbs in relationship to the concept of faith. And even Scripture tells us that. Right? What, what have we seen all through Hebrew so far? So far right? Don't fall away. Hold fast to the faith. Right? There's, there's all these warnings that we are to believe. The gospel itself, there is a command to believe and repent. And so it's easy for us to, if we're not careful, change or misunderstand what faith really is simply because of how we converse about it and how Scripture converses about it in some of those other contexts. And it's easy for us to, to listen to things like the author of Hebrews come around and say, hey, you need, a, you need to hold fast, right? Hold fast. You're, you're in danger. Way back in chapter 2, you're in danger of, of drifting away. Right, if you do not hold fast, and it's easy for us to, to feel like this is something, some massive amount of effort that we need to put into our lives. Like there is there is something that is that is on us 
that we have just got to buckle down and hang on. The problem is that that way of thinking is not in line with what faith really is. It doesn't really match with what faith really means. The, the Greek word here for faith in, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word faith is the Greek word pistis. Uh, we also have the word pisteo, which is used for believe. Usually it's translated that way. Um, so the word pistis has been translated, it's in, it's in the New Testament, I think 240 sometimes. All but two times, it's, it's faith is, is how we get that, that definition. It's just translated as faith. But what does it really mean? What does this Greek word really mean? It has a, an idea of strong confidence in and reliance upon someone or something. All right? It's a strong confidence in and reliance upon someone or something. It's, we get the idea of trust from that. There's two parts to this. There's the first part where there is confidence, right? Faith is confidence. We are sure, right? There is a confidence. There's, there is, we, we believe that this is true. We know and agree with the truth. We have confidence. But it's not just confidence. It's confidence in and reliance upon. Reliance upon. That has the idea of rest. Resting in something else. And if we're not careful, we can take this idea of the actions that we take and believing and trusting and placing our faith and we can skew the real understanding of faith, which is simply, Jesus, I am resting, resting. Are we really resting in Jesus Christ this morning? That's the question that I have for you as we go through this. So that's the kind of the technical definition of this word faith. Again, historically, what, 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 what's going on here? The, the readers of this book of Hebrews, they're, they're Christians who have, who have been uh, taught the truth of Jesus Christ, but yet those around them are trying to bring them back under uh, the faith that they had before. And what was that faith in before? That faith was in the law of Moses. It was in keeping the commandments. That faith was in the, the sacrifices from the ceremonial services. That faith was in the blood of animals. That faith was in the high priest to go before God on their behalf. Their faith was in all of these different things. But if, you, if you've ever read the book of Romans, verse chapter 11, you're going to see that there's a problem with their faith. They pursued all those things as works, as ways that they could earn their righteousness towards God, and they did not do it by faith in him. It wasn't because they were trusting that God had given them these things. It was because those things they thought made them righteous before God. And so their idea of faith was really works. And that's what these Hebrews are being called back to. They're, they're being persecuted to come back to these things. And even here we have, again, the reminders to not fall away 
from the face. This, this idea of holding fast to the faith is not an idea of just buckling down and hanging on tight. It is an idea of resting completely, confidently in the blood of Jesus Christ because his sacrifice is a better sacrifice. Now, that's, uh, that's a lot of great technical information. What does the Bible actually say, though? Is faith an action? Is faith a work that we must do? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, most of you haven't memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3, 27 through 28. But then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4, 13 through 16. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world that did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. One more, Galatians 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, have, so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Got it? Faith is not a work. It's not something that I put effort into. It's not something that I hold on to out of my own strength. Faith is resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ. But we've walked away from the passage. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. We've looked at passages outside of this passage, but what is this passage actually saying? It's interesting, when we look at Scripture, sometimes Scripture gives us definitions. Yes, we have technical Greek and Hebrew definitions. Yes, we can, we can look outside that passage and see if the rest of Scripture supports our understanding of what's being said. But there are times where the passage itself actually gives us definitions, gives us understanding of a specific word or a phrase. And this is one of those passages, and we need, to, we need to take heart to that. We need to not just assume that our understanding of a word or phrase is right when the Holy Scriptures give us exactly what God means. See, I had a discussion with a friend of mine not too long ago about uh, the uh, definition of sin. Yeah, I have weird friends, okay? Uh, so we were discussing the definition of sin. His, his uh, argument was that sin is just... Uh, not loving God and not loving others. That's his definition of sin. And while that is a valid statement about sin, because Jesus said that the law 
is summed up in these two things, right? He's actually quoting Deuteronomy. He says that the law is, the, 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 the most important commandment is that we are to love God, and the second is that we are to love others, right? And so the idea is that if we're not loving God and loving others, we're not fulfilling the law. But that's not really what Jesus was saying. He wasn't defining sin. He was defining the law. He was defining what the, the greatest commandment was. And, but yet, Scripture tells us in many places what sin actually is. It is, summed up, transgression against the law of God. And we can see that over and over and over in the Bible. So why would we use a broad definition when we can use the Holy and Spirit-inspired definition of the Word? And that's really what we have here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We have a Holy Spirit-inspired definition or description of what faith really is. What does it say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. Now that word assurance is uh, this word hypostasis, which has lots of different meanings. It's used lots of different ways. But in this context, it's used as an underpinning or a support underpinning or a support. It also has the idea of a title deed, something that you get as a guarantee of, of, of what you're going to have at the end, right? We have a, a title deed to our house, but until the mortgage is paid off, <laughs> it's not really ours, right? Uh, and so we have this guarantee of the thing that it's going to happen. That's what this idea of, ins- of assurance is. It's that faith is a guarantee, like a title, guaranteeing us that God will fulfill his promises. It's a guarantee, it's an assurance of things that are hoped for, the things that God has promised to us. And that is, which our, that, that is what our faith is based on. Our faith is based on the promises of God. We have confidence, we have assurance, we have a guarantee that that is going to come to pass because God is faithful. Grace is, faith is an assurance of things, a conviction of things not seen. The Greek word here is, has the idea of evidence, evidence that is, that is laid out that causes someone to come to full agreement with what is being argued or discussed. All right, that's what this, this idea of conviction is. The, the facts have been laid out before us, and we are completely convinced of the truth of what we have seen. It's interesting, he says that this is the faith is the conviction of things not seen. That could be things in the future, but it's also, I believe, things in the past. It's, the, it's in my opinion, the, the spiritual realm as a whole including the existence of God. We're going to see later on, not this morning, we'll see later on, uh, that in, in order for us to draw close to God, we have to believe that he exists, right? We have, to, we have to believe in something that we cannot see. But what is it saying? It says we, have, we are fully convinced, that's what faith is, fully convinced that those things are true. The things that we hope for, the things that we cannot see. Faith is not an action or an effort that I must perform. True faith is confident assurance and rest in what God has said and what Christ has done. That's true faith. Secondly, I want to look at the commendation of true faith. 
the commendation of true faith. This is verse 2. The fallacy here is that faith is necessary for salvation, but effort is what pleases God. Faith is necessary for salvation, but effort is what pleases God. And, and again, we can get these ideas from even Scripture if we're not careful. James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's useless to say that we have faith without works. God calls us as believers to, to obey Him. Um, we know that our, our works one day will be judged by God. Those are, those are clear things in Scripture. But the question is, is, is it true that though faith is necessary for salvation, God requires us to have effort. That that's the thing that really pleases him. The thing that he is most concerned about. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. For by it, speaking of faith, back in verse 1, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Who are the people of old? Well, he's going to list them. Right? He's going to go through them in the rest of this chapter. It's people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, father, the, the, the fathers of, of, uh, of the Israelites, the, uh, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and, and many others. These are all people that, that those who are hearing his, his sermon, maybe originally, or those who are, are reading this letter, these are people that they looked up to. These are people that, whose great deeds were known among the Israelites. They knew about all these people. They knew all the great things that they had done and in many ways held them up as, as examples of how they should live and, and, and held them up maybe even sometimes as, as things that nobody could live up to. Just look how great these people are and in some ways maybe even um, unfortunately worship them to some degree. These were great people in the eyes of the Israelites. But what is God telling us here in verse 2? He's saying, Look, these are, these are great people, but this commending, he, he's bearing witness of them. He's bearing witness well of them. That's what the idea of, of commending is. God's saying that they are commended not for their deeds, but for their faith. God's saying it, it doesn't matter all the great deeds that they did. I don't care about those. What I care about and what I am extolling, what I am raising up to you as an example is not the great things they did, but the faith that they had in me. That is what commends you to God. What does the rest of Scripture say? Romans 1.8. I think it's interesting that Paul often in his letters echoes this same sentiment. Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's an interesting statement. Their faith is being proclaimed. Now, he's not talking about the gospel. He's talking about their faith in Christ. The fact that they were people of faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Ephesians 1, 15 through 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What did he do? He, he heard of their faith. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1.8, For not, as the, not, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Are you getting the gist here? It is not the great works that we or the people of old have done that commend us to God. It is our faith, our rest, our trust in his promises. That is what commends us to God. Not only Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, later on in verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what? Imitate their faith. He doesn't say do all the things that they did. Imitate their actions. Be a preacher like that person was. Imitate their faith. When you look around the church for somebody to emulate, somebody maybe even to, to be a discipler to you, are you looking for somebody that looks like they've got it all just figured out on the outside, healthy, wealthy, and wise? Or do you look maybe for someone who's gone through a lot of hardship and struggle and trial but their faith in God is strong. That's who we should be commending. Those who are resting in what Jesus Christ has done, regardless of the circumstances. The fallacy is that faith is necessary for salvation, but effort is what pleases God. The reality is that true faith is what God honors because our trust glorifies Him rather than ourselves. Our trust glorifies him rather than ourselves. Thirdly, this morning, I will look at the cornerstone of true faith. The cornerstone of true faith. A cornerstone was the, the first stone laid down. It, was, it served as a foundation, and it also served as an alignment Everything else that was laid down would, would be in alignment with that, that cornerstone. It would, be, it would be a foundation to support that corner. It would also be used to make sure that everything else lined up straight. And that's the sense in which I want us to use this term cornerstone of true faith this morning. What's the fallacy? The fallacy is this, that faith is something that I create and sustain of my own power. Faith is something that I create and sustain of my own power. Again, this idea comes from the way that we tend to think about and communicate um, regarding faith. We say things like, I choose to have faith, or I choose to place my faith in this, or I choose to keep believing in such and such. And these statements are actually true. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't do those things. What I'm saying is if we're not careful, we can begin to allow that type of thinking to change what faith really is. We can allow ourselves to become the ones who, who are the, the creators and the sustainers and everything depends on me. 
when it comes to faith. However, there's some fundamental biblical realities of faith that if we're not careful, we're going to overlook and this mindset will begin to take over the way that we understand biblical, true faith. Verse number three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Uh, in some ways, this harkens back to, to verse number one, where it says that we have, that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Right? He says that things that are made were not made out of things that are visible. What's he trying to get across here? By faith, we believe in the creation account. It's interesting that that he picks this um, as kind of the first thing that we believe in by faith. Um, this is one of, if not the most uh, controversial beliefs of Christianity. Uh, it's one in which many believers have given way to uh, the world and its philosophy um, and it's interesting that even back in his time, the author of Hebrews says, look, we believe that God created everything by faith. Not because we can put everything together. Now, I'm not saying that there's no evidence. I'm not saying that we have blind faith. Obviously, God has, in his sovereignty, has given us a plethora of evidence and, and wonderful things that we can point to to show the, the beauty and the reality of a creator. But those are not proofs that God created everything. They point to it. What does Psalms say? The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the firmament declares his handiwork. Right? We know that creation points to it. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we are suppressing the truth of what we know can be known about God through nature, and that is that he exists and that he is powerful. We know that God exists, but we don't know about creation without Genesis chapter 1. Nobody in here just came up with this idea on their own, I'm going to believe that God created everything and that he did it in six days and he did it in this order. Nobody in here came up with that out of the blue. We get the information that we believe in from the word of God. By faith, we believe that God, that the universe was created by the word of God. Is that how you would have come up with it? That God just spoke everything into existence? Probably not what I would have come up with. I don't know what I would have come up with. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because our faith is not something that we just create and sustain on our own. Our faith requires something to be to believe in it requires something to rest in it is not independent unfortunately we can view our faith as independent at times we can think that well if i just believe more if i just really buckle down and and trust 
You know, and we, I get the idea of us kind of sitting in the corner, believe, 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 believe. That's not faith. Faith is resting in what the word of God has said. It's not independent. It's not, it's not on its own just coming up with these things. It rests on something. And for us as true believers, it should be on the word of God. People put faith in a lot of different things. They put faith in their own knowledge. And, and if we're not careful, we can do this as believers as well. Thinking that we have things figured out, uh, either in life or even in Scripture. And we put our faith in the things that we know, yet constantly we should be growing, and that knowledge should be, should be changing to be conformed more to what we read in Scripture. So just depending or, or resting on what we know is not good enough. Resting on our experiences, that's not good enough either because our experiences are all different and our experiences may lead us down the wrong path. There are a lot of people who are, who, whose faith is resting in an experience of raising a hand or walking an aisle or saying a specific prayer, but in reality they are not living for Christ because their faith is not in Him. Their faith is is in some act that they did when they were a kid or some act that they did when they were a teenager, some decision that they made at a camp, but their faith is not actually in Jesus Christ and his finished work. That's a problem because our faith is dependent on something and if it's not dependent on the word of God, then it is futile. It's futile. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Why did Noah build an ark? Because he's a good prognosticator? No. Because the word of God came to him. That's why he acted. He had faith in the word of God. By faith, Abraham, verses 8 and 9, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, why did Abraham leave? He just felt like it was time to go? Getting tired of his dad? I think his dad was in at the time, if I remember correctly. But, you know, time to move away. I've had enough with family. No. He was commanded. It says that he obeyed. The word of the Lord came to him and commanded him to go. Sarah, the same thing. She's, she, even though she laughed, she received this child because he, she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 11. We see this word promise multiple times and we will see it again and again in Hebrews 11 as we go through it. But down in verse 39, we see this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Not every single person in this passage is going to start with God said such and such. Some of them, even if we look back at their, their stories, we won't necessarily see something that says God said such and such. For like example, Abel. We don't really know why Cain and Abel 
knew to come before the Lord and offer sacrifices. But we do know that Abel did so in such a way that pleased God. So there's going to be some that we don't really have a complete, full understanding, but the reality is there are promises, if not direct statements from God to each of these individuals, there are promises that he had made that they were resting on. Their faith was not independent. It rests on the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided not to know, any, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Peter, 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, he, speaking of Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We could go on and on and on in the New Testament seeing these terms, faith in God, faith in Christ. The reality is that our faith is not independent. It is dependent upon the word of God. There's another aspect of faith that we need to understand. And this is even related to this concept of verse 3. It says that we believe that all these things were made by God. Unfortunately, faith is, is not equal among every single person. We don't all have the same um, level or amount of faith. In fact, as we mentioned earlier, there are some believers who even uh, today try to meld man's wisdom with God's wisdom in understanding creation. And yet, what does the writer tell us? It says, we believe by faith. We rest in the word of God that this is how everything began. We rest in the word of God, but there are some who are not resting in the word of God for that. Maybe there's something in your life this morning that you know the truth of Scripture, you know the promises of God, but maybe you're not resting in that. Maybe you're still setting aside true faith and you're putting effort and works and drive into trying to achieve something instead of resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ and simply by faith obeying. That is what we should be doing. But unfortunately, we all have varying degrees of faith. You remember, oftentimes, Jesus would comment to the disciples about their small amount of faith. Oh, you of little faith. We see a couple of instances of of uh, the Roman centurion and the, and the Canaanite woman who, who come to Jesus asking for healing for uh, one for a servant and one for a daughter. And Jesus says to them in, in the first instance, he says, truly, I tell you, I've not seen anything, any faith like this in all of Israel. I've not seen any faith like this. And in the Canaanite woman, he says, oh woman, great is your faith. We all are at different varying levels 
of faith and even of depth of faith. As Jesus was was speaking to the people and he was doing these miracles, they were coming to him. And in John chapter 6, we see that they... They, they, they want to see more, right? They, they have faith. They have faith that he can heal people. They have faith that he can, he can uh, turn a little bit of food into lots of food and feed thousands of people. They've got faith to see him do things like that. But when he starts preaching to them the word, the truth, it says that, they, that many turned away. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Different levels and depths of faith. True faith rests in what Jesus Christ has done. Faith is not static, but it should be growing. For sake of time, I won't go into all of these verses. I'll just give you one. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Faith is not a static thing. It's not just, I have this, and I'm good. It's something that God expects us to grow in, and it's not unaided. Again, what is the fallacy? The fallacy is that I create and sustain faith all on my own. It's impossible if you understand what faith is to do that because faith relies on something else inherently. It is dependent. But yet, we forget that faith is also a gift. Romans chapter number 12, verses 3 through 6 says this, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Faith is a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Jump back to Romans chapter 10, though. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13, says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that not a blessed hope? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him who, whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We have faith because we have truth. Not because it's something that we have conjured up, that's something that we are sustaining of our own power, but it's because we are resting, resting in the truth of the word of God and the power of Jesus Christ. The fallacy is that faith is something I create and sustain of my own power. But the reality is that true faith is dependent on the truth and sufficiency of God's word and the power of Christ's work both in salvation and sanctification. It's not just a salvation issue, folks. This is a sanctification issue. This is a day-by-day living for Christ process. When we wake up in the morning, are we putting on our clothes and getting ready for the day and thinking, got to do it. Got to work for Christ today. Got to psych myself up. Can't give in to sin. Those things are true. But if it's all in our own effort, then we've missed completely the whole point of faith. Faith gets up in the morning and says, God, there is nothing good in me, but you are good. And so I trust in you today to help me walk in accordance with the Spirit, to help me share the gospel when I should, to help me live in a way that pleases you so that I can glorify you today. That's faith. Faith is resting in the word, the promises, and the power of God. So my question for you this morning is, do you have true faith? Is your faith only and solely and completely in the word of God, or are you depending on anything else? Are you depending on a testimony that you have of an aisle that you walked or a hand that you raised? Are you depending on your your own ability to fight sin, to do things that are right? If that is the case, you don't have true faith. So as we look at these other facets and fallacies over the next two weeks, this is the foundation. Everything else that we're going to see is going to kind of come back and support all of these things as we go through the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. My prayer for us this morning is that we understand faith, not in how we want it to be, but in what Scripture says that it is, and that we simply submit to that reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have a sure and steady foundation in the Word of God, that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to lean on our own understanding, we don't have to to lean on uh, the ideas of others, that we don't have to trust in man, but we can trust completely and fully in you. That our rest can be in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Not in anything that that we must continue to hold. Not in anything that we must 
put effort into to obtain, but that we can simply rest knowing, as Jesus said, it is finished. That you, the one who has begun a work in us, will complete it. Father, I pray that we would rest in that, that our faith would be true. And if there's anyone here this morning that that cannot say that because they don't even know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself even this morning, that they would see that anything that they are trusting in this morning is nothing. It's worthless. It's pointless if it's not the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would do that work. And for us who are believers, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just look at this chapter as a, as a nice expose on faith, but that we would look at it as, as reminders and even warnings of ways where we may have gone off the rails in our understanding of faith and where we may be even depending on our own strength and our own ideas and our own desires instead of resting fully in your word and your promises. We pray that you would do that work in Christ's name. Amen.